here together to worship the Lord and to sing these wonderful songs and to hear his word this morning. And I pray that you be, you be encouraged this morning and just inspired to go out into this world and be uh, the hands and feet of Jesus as he's called us to be. So let's go ahead and pray together and then we'll go ahead and get into the word this morning. Lord, thank you that we are reminded to turn our eyes to you, Lord. We just want to recognize that you, as we just sang, as we just heard in the scripture readings, you are the one that have, has opened our eyes. Lord, you're the one that reached out to us in our lost, broken, pitiful condition, and you brought us back to life. You opened our eyes. Like that man born blind, Lord, we can see, and it's all because of you. Like John Newton wrote those famous words, I was once blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. We are grateful for that grace, Lord. As we open your word, open our eyes. Help us to see what you have us to see this morning. Help us to know you more intimately and to allow you to direct our path and take us to where you want us to go. That you'd be our shepherd and our God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my sermon is entitled, He is our safety, Jesus as the good shepherd. We're continuing our series of who is Jesus? And the, the question I'm going to answer, I hope answer this morning, is that Jesus is our good shepherd, which means then that he provides for us security and safety. I want to share a story with you as I was thinking this past week, or actually two weeks ago, preparing this message. I was reminded of an incredible encounter I had with a remarkable woman by the name of Thu Lei. She doesn't speak any English. Well, she might now, but when I met her, she did not. But it was in Chicago, and she came as a refugee as a, with her family in about 2008. And Thule, being a strong Christian lady, wanted to open her home and have a house church to meet in her home in their own native language. And myself and another colleague had the privilege of helping them with this house church. I would do music and did some preaching and teaching, but it was completely their ministry, their church. And I learned about Thule and her family a little bit, but I wanted to really get her story because she was so just filled with, with joy, always was smiling. But I knew as a refugee, and I worked with refugees, I knew that she had gone through a lot of hardships. So I asked one of our translators, I said, could I, could I learn her story about how she ended up coming here and just what she went through? And so the translator said, yeah, of course. So let me ask her, and I'm sure she'd be happy to share her story. So after we had our house church one Sunday afternoon, I sat down with her and the translator and learned her story. Everyone called her Mama Moo, but her name was Thule because she was this wonderful matriarch. It was in 2002, so 22 years ago now, that her and her family in the small village in the southeast part of Burma, Myanmar, were just going about their normal lives. They were farmers, they were very poor, lived off the land. And if you know anything about Burma or Myanmar, you know it's, it's very unstable, has been for many years. And there's a military dictatorship that's been in place for a long time now. And so these soldiers came in to her village and began to threaten people to try to recruit the men to join the military. Well, these are the Karin people, they live in the south part of Burma, as mentioned, and they were very simple. Many of them were Christians, are Christians, and so they refused. And so Thule's husband was out in the fields, and some soldiers came up to him and said, we are requesting you to join our service. And he said, no, I have a family to raise. My son just got married. I've got two daughters who are in teenagers. 
we are simple people, we want to live in peace. Well, they didn't take no for an answer, so they tried to get a bribe. They said, well, you need to give us money then. And he said, well, we don't have any money, but I can sell some of my livestock next week at the market, which they had to travel quite a bit of ways to go to the market, and we'll get money, and when you come back next week, we'll give you this money. They didn't seem too thrilled about that either, so they went into their home, small little hut, if you will, and began to destroy everything, looking for cash, looking for anything they could get for any kind of money. And Thule's sister, who was an elderly woman, was sitting in there, and these soldiers beat her. Totally beat her up, abused her, which is not uncommon in this part of the world. And the soldiers looked at both Thule and her husband and said, we're going to come back, and if you don't have money for us, or if you don't join our military, we will kill you. And so they left. True story. Of course, I'm at the edge of my seat listening to this story, right? And she said, Thule said through her translator, we got on our knees, my husband and I, and we prayed, and we asked God, what do we do? These are beautiful, God-loving people in their own language, reaching out to the Lord, and they heard in their inner person, in their heart, they heard the Lord say, go, flee. So they did. Thule said they didn't bring any belongings with her, only the clothes they had on, and some rice, and some food that they could be sustained with for a little while. But they left at night, because if the soldiers came back the next day, and they saw their belongings gone, they would hunt them down to kill them. And so they didn't want any trace that they had left. So they just left at midnight. Now, two things. Number one, it's pitch black. It's in the jungles. They were outside the jungle. They were kind of, you know, if you know that part of the world, Southeast Asia, a lot of rice fields, very lush, but also very thick, dense jungles. And they had to go through the jungle eastward to get to Thailand across the border where they could go to a refugee camp and be safe. But all through the jungles are militant Burmese soldiers, and if they spotted a Burmese person, you can watch this on documentaries, you can see this footage. We don't hear a lot about in our modern or in our political day uh, that we live in about what's happening over in, Minma, Minma, uh, in Burma or Myanmar, but this is what happened. And if a soldier saw a refugee or someone who was moving toward Thailand, they would kill them. And so they went at night and they said, Thule said, it was so dark that they could not see one inch in front of them. And they held their hands, husband, wife, son who had just been married, his new wife, and their two daughters would sometimes crawl on their hands and knees. They'd have to go up hills. Another challenge, she said, was it was the rainy season. And if it rained, bad news, because then the hills would become very muddy, be very dangerous. And then they had to cross the river on the, east, on the border of Thailand and Burma to get over to Thailand. And if the river was high, they could not cross. So a lot of uncertainty, and I'll never forget what she said, but we knew the invisible hand of the Lord was leading us. We knew that no matter what, he would keep us safe. They never saw any soldiers. They heard gunshots, but they never saw any soldiers. And for four weeks, folks, four weeks, they made their way eastward toward Thailand, crossed the river, and went into the refugee camp safe and sound. And she said when, when they were in the camp, it was like, a, an ongoing church service because there were so many Christians in this particular camp. They had worship services every day. They shared their food, their rice together. It was like the book of Acts. And God had provided all their needs. And then in 2007, 
And then in 2008, all of her family came over as refugees to America. And I share that story with you because in some ways, that's a picture of our lives. No, we're not in the jungles of Burma. We're not being threatened by militant soldiers, thankfully, at least not yet. But we are, as John Bunyan said in his classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress, we are trudging our way through darkness toward the heavenly city. It's a world of uncertainty. It's a world of fear. What next? What, what ifs? And yet, it is Jesus, his invisible hand, that leads us through the darkness. So this morning for my sermon, we're going to look at who is Jesus, specifically looking at him as our good shepherd who does, in fact, go before us and lead us. And what does a good shepherd do? He offers his sheep safety. Thule said throughout that whole four-week journey in the jungles of Burma, she felt constantly assured of the Lord's nearness that she was safe. So here's my main idea, big idea, thesis for this sermon. Even though we trudge through the darkness in this life, we can know with absolute surety that we are safe because we have a good shepherd leading us. We can know with absolute surety a surety that we are safe and secure because we have a good shepherd leading us. You see, safety, security is an essential human need. You probably know that. When a baby is born into this world after being in the mother's womb for nine months, being fashioned and formed there, it comes out into a cold, unsettling, uncertain world. And what that baby needs is the mother's touch, skin on skin. The baby needs to smell the mother, needs to be near that closeness. It's called attachment. And if there's not that attachment initially, then what happens is the brain can't handle it. Trauma will take place very quickly in that baby's life. And a baby can actually die if attachment does not occur. It's an essential human need. But as we grow up, as we navigate our lives in this world, we often feel unsafe. Even within our closest attachment relationships, like in our families of origin, many of us grew up feeling unsafe because we didn't know if dad would come home sober or not. We didn't know if mom was going to go off in one of those tyrannical rage situations or if we were going to be picked on at school or picked last at recess or whatever it may have been. We grow up and we get this feeling that we are not safe. And then we have our own families, and we have to wrestle with that. Am I safe for my kids, my spouse? Am I provo- providing emotional security and all that? And all of us strug- struggle with that attachment. Statistically, since COVID especially, COVID just kind of brought it all to the surface, mental health challenges are off the charts these days. People struggling with anxiety, depression, you name it. In other words, many of us are walking around on high alert, uncertain, on edge, not sure what to do, where to go, or how to get there. I've felt that way many times, and I'm sure you have as well. But the good news is this. As followers of Jesus, we can lean into him continually, believing and knowing and even feeling that he is, in fact, absolutely safe. We can have attachment, if you, in other words, 
to him as our shepherd. And we can sense that he is in fact leading us, guiding us, directing our paths and our steps. So let's go ahead and jump into the text. If you wanna turn with me to John chapter 10, we're gonna look at that this morning. John chapter 10. And I have two points for this sermon. Number one is the calling of the shepherd. The calling of the shepherd. And number two is the covering of the shepherd. So the calling, number one, and number two is the covering. Let's look at the first point, the calling of the shepherd. If you want to look with me at John chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, and you can also look on the screens. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Let me give you a little context. We, we, saw, we heard that this morning. Pastor Scott read uh, John chapter 9. And that's the context in which we find this narrative. You see, as we read earlier, Jesus had just healed a man born blind. That man would go to a place called the Pool of Siloam. It was a place for misfits, people who were crippled on the marginalized society, if you will, would go there. They'd beg for money. They were the ones that were outcasts and so forth. And so there he was. And Jesus taking the mud, spitting into it, anointing his eyes, rubbing his eyes with his mud, said, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man did. And then the Pharisees get wind of it, as we heard and saw, and they begin to question because it is the Sabbath. Now, the Pharisees were the religious cops of the day. They were keeping track. They had the power. They had the order. They knew all of the law and then some. And the Sabbath was the, the, the day that they protected because it was a day of rest. You could not do any work on the Sabbath. You could not even, in fact, Jesus and his disciples got in trouble by the Pharisees because they were taking grain from the fields and eating them, eating the grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus did this on the Sabbath. So that alarms went off in their heads. Oh, what do we, what do we got here? What's going on here? They were the mafia, religious mafia of the day. And so they begin to question this man. Actually, they go first to his mom. They question, and they said, is this really your son? Was he really born blind? Well, yes, he was. And then she said, well, why don't you ask him yourself? <laughs> so, so they did. They went to him. And he said, did this really happen? He said, yes, this really happened. Well, how can this happen? I don't know. You're supposed to be the experts. I'm paraphrasing here. Of course, they didn't like that. You see, people in power like this who hold all the power, they think they hold the power, and they wield that power, and they keep people under their spell, if they feel they're threatened, not good. The claws come out, and they were getting angry, and they cast him out. Let's pick up the story Verse 30, 35, excuse me. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? This is now Jesus talking to this blind man that now could see because he healed him. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see me, 
those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near them heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? You can almost feel that, the snarkiness, the questioning, the condemnation. Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So that's the context. The Pharisees are there. So Jesus goes into this new narrative. Truly, I truly, I say to you, religious leaders, who think you see, but actually don't, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. I'm going to show you a picture for a moment. Those of you that are visual learners, like uh, like myself at times can, can kind of grasp a little bit more by seeing a picture. And there we have a sheep pen. In Israel, these were very common. In fact, most scholars think that where the Pool of Siloam was, which is the south part of Jerusalem, just outside of the city walls, there were, in fact, sheep pens because all surrounding Jerusalem, especially going toward Bethlehem, was shepherd area. And Bethlehem had a lot of caves. In fact, we were there in Bethlehem this past last year, and we got to see some of these caves where the shepherds would have kept their, their sheep. But closer to the city, they would have built these pens. You see that there? They would take mud and rock and so forth, and they would make a wall, and there was a door. And the shepherd would stay there by the door and guard the sheep. And that's exactly the picture here. This would have been a very familiar Narrative, very familiar picture to those who listened to Jesus' story here, including the Pharisees. And perhaps he was so close to one of these sheep pens that he pointed and said, look over here. He says, those who do not enter the sheepfold by the door, but rather climb in another way. In other words, climb over the wall. That man is a thief and a robber. The word thief means an embezzler, implying subtlety, sneakiness. And robber is one who plunders, denoting violence. So in that day and age, there was two types of things that would happen. Is someone would climb over the wall, and they would try to steal the sheep at nighttime when they were resting so they could go and sell them in the market or keep them for their own, you know, for their own, put them in their own livestock or their own fold or what have you. And then there was one, like the robbers, who would come in and just destroy the walls, maybe kill the sheep because they wanted revenge. And, of course, you have the natural predators in that area like wolves who would also come in and try to get over the wall and eat the sheep. And so I can't help but think about Genesis chapter 3 because, and perhaps this is part of what Jesus was thinking about as he shared this story, because the devil, who was the subtle sly one, right? He is, remember, the serpent who was subtle and slick he slithered his way into the Garden of Eden to where God's precious lambs were, Adam and Eve, and seduced them. So perhaps Jesus was thinking about the enemy here and most definitely was thinking of the Pharisees because he was speaking to them. Bottom line is these enemies had no right to enter into the sheep pen. The, place, the sheep pen was a place of protection and safety for the sheep. Verse 2, but he, there's the contrast there, 
who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He who enters through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, to him, the gatekeeper opens, that is, opens the door. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The gatekeeper here can represent the shepherd. In fact, one scholar said this, the watchman or gatekeeper cannot be identified with any particular person, but rather the word illustrates this idea of a shepherd and Jesus coming at the right time and in the right way. And so in other words, it is, back to that picture, if you could show that picture again, it is the shepherd who is the gatekeeper and who sits at the door and watches his sheep. And so here we see that picture. Note that it says the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What's unique about shepherds is they actually go in front of their sheep and they lead them out. So every morning, they would lead the sheep out to graze in the pasture. And I learned this, a lot of the ancient shepherds in the Near East, Middle East, would have more than one flock. So there'd be perhaps multiple sheep pen and they would name all of their sheeps, sheep. <laughs> kind of reminds me of, of when we moved to where we're at in Monroe County now and maybe we move from the city to the country where we have two acres. And I'm not a country boy by any means. I grew up in the burbs. I grew up around urban centers. But I learned to acclimate, just like all of us do, to our new settings or new contexts. And, and I learned to enjoy the peace and quiet of the country. And a friend of ours said, you should get some chickens. My kids were young and small, and, and they were like, he was like, yeah, chickens are easy to maintain, and they're fun, and then you can get their eggs and, and enjoy a good good meal that way. And so we took him up on the offer and he built us a, 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 a chicken coop. In fact, we went to family farm and the kids picked out little baby chicks and those chicks became hens. And I remember the first time we got eggs and how exciting it was. But then I learned that a lot of things like to eat chickens, beside you and I, of course, but a lot of animals out there. And we live in, you know, the country to two acres or so, and the chickens would oftentimes perch on top of the coop, or they wouldn't go in the coop at, at, at the, you know, when they sh should have gone in the coop, and it was, the sun was down, it was dark, and I'd come out, and there would be a dead chicken. Oh, I remember seeing an owl fly away, and there was a chicken laying there in the ground. The worst was we had a mink, a black weasel, I guess there was a mink farm back in the day in Ida, I supposedly learned or whatever, and they, the guy just let them all go. And so we have mink around us. And I remember this mink dug under the coop and slithered its way in and killed about two or three of my chickens. So we built the coop stronger, more robust. And so my kids would, would enjoy that. And when we lost chickens, we'd get more. And they'd always name them. And there were some funny names. I can't remember all the names. They might remember them. But they would always name the chickens. I say all that because the shepherd was intimately connected and attached to his sheep. It wasn't just a job. It was his lifestyle. And he would name the sheep. And he'd go before them. It wasn't like a cattle rancher where they go behind and they, you know, come on, let's go, let's go, and get the, get the cows out. It was leading them quietly peacefully, but directly. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes 
before him. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That word know in Greek means to know by experience. Ginosko is the word. It comes out of the Hebrew yada, which means to know intimately. And so these sheep knew by experience the shepherd's voice. They could identify. They, could, they felt soothed. They felt calm. And they could go out of the sheep pen knowing with absolute confidence and security, knowing that the shepherd was, in fact, going to protect them and take care of them. Now, please understand, there's been this kind of misdemeanor out there about sheep being very dumb animals. And I learned that, you know, when I first became a Christian, oh, we're just a bunch of sheep, right? We're just dumb. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. In fact, I'd studied a couple different articles, and I'd heard this before, but I wanted just to make sure and confirm this. It turns out that sheep are very intelligent. In fact, one article says they have an excellent memory. In fact, they did an experiment where they put a bunch of sheep in a maze, like a corn maze, and the sheep were able to get out of the maze. One study showed that they could recognize up to 50 other sheep within their flock. Some experts also suggest that sheep can pass more complex psychological tests, I guess they've done that before, and can do so even more than monkeys. And another source, which I think is amazing, said that sheep can recognize their shepherd in a photo. Remarkable. Sheep are not dumb. What are sheep? Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Because they go out with their shepherd and they graze, so their head is down. They're not aware of what's outside of them. They're focused on grazing. And therefore, what do, a sheep, a shep, uh, what do sheep need who are vulnerable? They need a protector. They need a shepherd because they are unaware of the dangers around them, just like us. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, do not be unaware of the schemes of the devil. The word scheme means seduction. The trickery, the subtleties of the devil. Don't be unaware. But we often are. Because we, like sheep, not dumb, vulnerable, get distracted. Looking down at the pasture, grazing, trying this, doing this, doing that, doing our life. And what we need is someone who can provide safety for us. And that is Jesus our shepherd. Verse 4, or excuse me, verse 5. A stranger, they, that is the sheep, will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Again, sheep are very smart. They hear the voice of the shepherd. Ah, let's go out. Let's go to this pasture. They know instinctively, intuitively, and experientially that they can trust in the shepherd's voice. But, and this happened in Jesus' day, if there was a false shepherd trying to steal someone else's sheep, they may dress the part, they may have the shepherd's, you know, crook that would help lead them out, but the sheep won't follow. Why? Because they don't know that voice. 
It's a strange voice. In fact, Jesus says, they will flee from him. What will happen is it will create chaos and the sheep will begin to scatter and they'll get unsettled. They'll get anxious because they are also an anxious bunch. And so they'll get unsettled and anxious. And Jesus is making very clear. And you have to know that the Pharisees are picking up on what he's saying because he's making a strong contrast. He's saying, listen, you guys don't make the sheep feel safe. All your rules, all your, all your regulations, all your oppression. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, in Matthew chapter 25, it says this. The scribes and Pharisees, this is verse 2, two through 4. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. In other words, be respectful. But not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens and hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And that was a picture of the religious corruption of that day. Legalism. They were placing boulders on the people. They weren't caring for them as a shepherd. They weren't loving them. They weren't gentle no, they would ostracize people, calling them unclean, unworthy, placing burdens on them that they would not themselves bear because they were religious experts. And Jesus is making a very strong contrast here. Verse 6, the figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they, that's the Pharisees here, did not understand what he was saying to them. Thus, further driving this point home that they were blind. The, more, the man who was not religious, that was born blind and worshiped Jesus, he sees, he believes. But these Pharisees, religious experts, were blind. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. They were proud. They were know-it-alls. They had it all figured out. They had all the rules and the, and the regulations down. And yet they were blind. Number two, my second point is this, the covering of the shepherd. So we looked at the calling of the shepherd. The shepherd calls his sheep by name. He would name them, and then he would go before them and lead them out. And we can be assured that our shepherd will do the same with us. Number two is the covering, which means protection that the shepherd provides for the sheep Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, the them refers back to his audience here, which is the Pharisees. And you can imagine that his disciples were with him because the disciples were always with him. And perhaps the man that was born blind that now could see was there as well. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Now, this is all throughout this the Gospel of John, this little phrase, I am, ego ami in Greek, and it simply means I am, like I am present right now, I am. Now that is significant, and you can imagine the Pharisees, when they heard that, they were like, oh, they were steaming. Why? Because they knew what that, that statement meant. That meant Jehovah, Jehovah, the self-existing one. In fact, that is the name that God told Moses. When Moses said to God in the burning bush, when God revealed himself to him, he said, 
God, who should I, who should I tell the people, the Hebrew people, when I go back to Egypt, that who, who should I say sent me? And, Mo, and God said to Moses, tell them I am sent you. So Jesus says this phrase. You can look, you can underline it in your, in your Bibles, in the Gospel of John specifically. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way. I am the good shepherd. All these statements, very clear of Jesus' deity. He is truly God. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Look what it says next. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I have a second picture, if you could put that picture up, and you can see another picture here of there is the sheepfold, and you can see oftentimes these sheepfolds, uh, these sheepfolds were built, and they had a door just like that. And the shepherd would be always at guard, at watch. And Jesus is making the very clear illustration, perhaps with the sheep, uh, a, shep, a sheep pen right near him at the time of his address here when he was sharing this narrative. He says, I am the door. I am the door. I am the way into the sheepfold and out. Then he says in verse 8, All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. In Jesus' day, it wasn't uncommon for there to be one who rose up that said, I am he. I am the Mishach, the Messiah. I am the one that's going to deliver you, to rescue you from the tyranny of Rome. And they were often zealous. They would often tell their followers to take up the sword and try to kill a Roman soldier. It was a political type thing. And then these so-called messiahs would be captured and killed, and their followers would scatter. That was very common in Jesus' day. The zealots were a very common movement. But Jesus also referred to those who had come before him, not just in his day, his day that had died off as so-called messiahs, but those from the Old Testament. So-called prophets had said to the people, this is God's plan, this is God's plan. For example, when the people were sent off to exile into Babylon, there was prophets rising up telling the people, oh, we're not going to be here that long. This is not God's plan. You're his chosen people. We're going to go right back to Jerusalem and God sent a letter through Jeremiah, a true prophet, and said, tell them, don't listen to those false prophets. They're gonna, my people will be in Babylon in exile for 70 years. So plant gardens and build houses, get married, marry your children off to others, and, and seek the shalom, the peace of this place where I have called you into exile. In Ezekiel's day, Ezekiel wrote in that time too, post-exile. And he was writing, and he wrote specifically in Ezekiel chapter 34 to these so-called shepherds, the Levites, that were supposed to take care of the people. And he said, woe to you. That's a strong statement. Woe to you, shepherds, who feed yourselves and do not feed the sheep, for they are now scattered and vulnerable. Woe to you. And so Jesus makes it very clear. And you can imagine the Pharisees were a little bit <laughs> nerved, unsettled here, unnerved, because he was making it very clear. Those that came before me, these so-called shepherds, the sheep are not going to listen to them. These, my people are not going to listen to you. 
He said, all those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, I am the door. He said it again. When you see a phrase repeated twice, it's a very significant. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That word means delivered or rescued and will go in and out and find pasture. The sheep don't have to worry. When they're with the shepherd, they can go in the sheepfold and out. The next morning when, the, when they wake up, the shepherd opens the door and they go out into the pasture. They know his voice. They feel secure. They're covered. Jesus is making it very clear who he is here. The thief, verse 10, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. As a young Christian, I remember hearing this verse and I was taught and learned that this is the, the devil, which I do think could be true. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus mentions to the Pharisees who were questioning him again, they questioned him a lot, you are acting just like your father, the devil. You say you're children of, of Abraham, but you're acting like your father, the devil, who's been a liar from day one. So, very possibly here, Jesus had in mind not only the Pharisees, but also the devil, because anything that's corrupt, right, anything that is, is uh, uh, seductive and oppresses people comes from the devil, right? Tyrannical power, like we heard in the story with the Burmese people, the military that oppresses people, it all comes from the author of evil, who is the devil himself, and so Jesus makes it clear the thief comes only to steal, kill. The word kill means to slaughter and destroy. That is to abolish, to cause, to perish. But here's a contrast. I came that they may have life. The word life there is zoe in Greek, and it means abundant life. It's the idea of shalom, full flourishing, being, having vitality. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, overflowing. Do you know that Jesus came to give us not only, not only to save us, first and foremost, to justify us before a holy God, which he does through his blood when we profess him by faith, we are justified, but also to give us fullness of life, an abundance of life. That's why we read Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. Do you believe that? His presence fullness of joy. And in your right hand is pleasure forevermore. C.S. Lewis talks quite a bit about how God has created us for pleasure. Because the word Eden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, or Genesis chapter 2, means pleasure or delight. God takes delight in his own and we are to find our pleasure in him. In his presence is fullness of joy. Jesus is making that very clear. I came that my sheep might feel this abundance and this pleasure knowing to whom they belong to. But those, you guys, thieves, the devil himself, all you do is destroy and kill and rob. Verse 11 there's the I am statement again. I am the good shepherd. Good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So if there's a good shepherd, that means there's also bad shepherds. 
That was in Ezekiel's day. Woe unto you, you so-called shepherds who only feed yourselves and not the sheep. The good shepherd, what does he do? Lays down his life for the sheep. I can't help but think, and perhaps the Pharisees did, of David, the shepherd king. David was confident in his God. That's why he could go out to where the Philistines were trying to belittle, not trying to, were belittling the Israelites with Goliath, this giant, literally giant person. And David could go with absolute childlike wonder and boldness and confidence and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine defiling the God of Israel? Right? David said, I have, I have protected my sheep for my father. And growing up in Bethlehem, Bethlehem is sheep country. I protected them. When the bear came, I killed the bear. When the lion came, I killed the lion. When the wolf came, I killed the wolf. This Philistine will be like one of those. Wow, what faith. His faith was not in himself. His faith was like, oh, I hope I have a really good shot. I got a couple smooth stones. I only got a couple shots here, a couple chances here. No, his faith was in the fact that God is the God of all and that God can work through any means. And therefore, David, knowing that he had this experience with his own sheep, could do the same thing with this Philistine. And he did. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, for I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand, literally the word hired hand means a wage worker. So shepherds, when they, especially, maybe there was busy seasons for shepherding, probably in the spring and so forth, they would hire wage workers to help them. And so if a wage worker was at night watching the sheep at the door and a wolf came, they're out of there. This, these are not my sheep. I'm just here to get the cash, right? So they're, they're gone. And that's what Jesus is saying. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And you can't help but think that Jesus is making it very clear to the religious leaders that they were like hired hands, not true shepherds. They didn't care about the people and their needs. They, were, they cared about power and wealth control. Verse 13, he, that is the hired hand, the wage worker, flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing. You hear that? Cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, not me. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. That's why I'm here. That's why I came. That's why we can know him intimately and be safe because he is our good shepherd this is why he cares. I am the good shepherd. I know, there's that word intimately by experience. I know my own and my own know me. Later on, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Very clear. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about you and I, future sheep who would come into the sheep pen through his work on the cross through grace. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they, future tense, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. What's the distinction between religious people like the Pharisees, religious experts, and those who really know, intimately know the shepherd? Those who know the shepherd hear his voice. They hear his voice and they follow. You see, the Pharisees were not only blind, but they were also deaf. Only voice they heard was their own voice. The voice of rules, the voice of religion, the voice of legalism, the voice of, of commandments. That was it. And they were deaf to the voice of the God who made them. So we'll end there. And let me give you now just a couple points of application. How can you apply this to your life? Number one is know and believe your shepherd goes before you. Let's look at the final picture we have. There's a beautiful picture of a shepherd leading his sheep. No one believe your shepherd goes before you. What's so unique about shepherds, as already mentioned, is they go before their flock, not behind them like a cattle rancher, before them, and they know them, and they name them, and they call them by name, and the sheep follow. We can rest assured, although we are very much like sheep, very vulnerable, very smart, don't think of yourself as unintelligent or dumb. You are not. You are beautifully, wonderfully made in God's image, but you're vulnerable. So am I. We're uncertain people, uncertain about our future, uncertain about our circumstances. What's going to happen? What's the diagnosis for this? What's going to happen to this person? What's going to happen to my marriage? What's going to happen to my kids? We're an uncertain group of people. But we can be certain of the one who goes before us. Proverbs 16, verse 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. How does the Lord establish his steps? He is a step ahead. He leads. Our job? Follow. That's why when Jesus said to those, his disciples, disciples to be on the shore of, Gal of the Sea of Galilee, follow me, they dropped their nets and they followed him. We are to follow him every single day. We get up in the morning, we drop our nets. Lord, give you my plans. Lord, give you my desires. Give you my fears. Give you my pain. Give you my trauma. I'm going to drop my net. I'm going to follow you. No one believe your shepherd goes before you. Number two, be aware of the thieves and the robbers in your life. Those who attempt to steal your joy. Folks, there's a lot of thieves and robbers out there. The devil is the first and foremost, but he's got a lot of minions, and I love the minion movies. I'm not talking about those little cute yellow guys. I'm talking about those agents who are out for destruction. He's got a lot of those out there, and they're out to steal your joy, to minimize your pain, 
to minimize your experience. They'll try to squeeze you into their mold. These are people. These are circumstances. These are unseen spiritual forces of darkness. These are the voices they say, you can't. You can't do that. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not talented enough. Silence those voices. Only hear the voice of your shepherd that says you are enough. Because Paul says that. You have been made, Ephesians chapter 2, you have been made complete in him. You are enough because he's enough. So those voices that are both internal, sometimes are the loudest voices, that voice in your head that says you're nothing but a screw-up, you can't measure up, you won't be this, that, silence that lie. That's not the voice of the Lord. That's not the shepherd's voice or the voices that come from other people. In Jesus' day, it was religious people. It was more than that. In our day, it can be religious people too. It can be political people. It can be family people that tell us, you can't, you won't. Let your, let your shepherd's voice fill your heart. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow and number three, and finally, be a shepherd to others. How? Well, the, the idea of a shepherd simply means to care for. What does he say? He contrasts the wage worker, the hired hand, with a true shepherd, a good shepherd, who cares for the sheep. So care about other people. How do we do that? Well, one of the best ways you can do that, one of the ways that you can offer that is by listening to other people, giving them a space to share their pain, to share their story, to share their trauma, to share their good, their bad, and the ugly, and giving them that sense of safety. Now, this is hard for many of us. This is hard for me, especially if you grew up in an environment like I did where I didn't feel like I had space available to me. I didn't feel safe growing up in my family. And so it's a learn thing, and I'm continually, continually having to learn. Lord, teach me how to be compassionate and loving and caring and speak kind and listen to other people, especially my wife, my kids, those closest to me. But you can learn to offer people space. Be a place of warmth. Be a place of compassion and kindness. Just listen to them. It's one of the best gifts we can give people is listen. Sometimes people just, especially people in pain, they just want someone that can listen to them and actually just sit there with them. Job's friends did that, but then they got off track. They listened to Job for a few days, and then they said, okay, it's our turn to talk. You did this, you did this, you must have done this, you must have done this, and then whoo, the train went off the tracks really fast. Don't be like Job's friends. Just be a shepherd. Listen to people care about them. If you struggle with empathy and compassion, ask the Lord to help you with it. And he will. So, to conclude, number one, the shepherd calls. He calls. He knows you by name. He calls us by name. Our job is to hear his voice. Number two, the shepherd covers. He protects us. If you don't feel safe in relationships, if you don't feel safe in life, guess what? You have him. He is safe. Attach yourself to me, to him. Jesus said, remain in me, abide in me. Attach yourself to me and I will remain with you. Amen. Let's pray together. 
Lord, thank you for being our good shepherd. I needed the, this message, Lord, as I prepared these last couple weeks to remind myself of how safe I am with you. Although I feel very unsafe at times, just like all of us do in the world we live in, we can rest assured that you call us and you cover us. Lord, you laid down your life for us. You showed us the ultimate gift of love, which is death on a cross. You said, I came to give you life and life to the full. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here, some, maybe perhaps many here this morning that feel like life is crushing them down, Lord, I pray that this word this morning from your voice in your word, John chapter 10, would really just loosen the, the heavy burdens that they feel and that they would say and feel and sense that you are a good shepherd to them no matter what and that they would walk out of here feeling a little lighter this morning a little bit more free. And we're grateful for that, that you give us that. Lord, therefore, help us through the week this week and beyond to attune ourselves to your voice, to silence the voices in our own head and the voices around us that are causing us to, be, to, to deprive us of our joy. And let us walk in that freedom we have in the Good Shepherd. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing one last song.
Savior of my ruined life. My guilt, cross laid on your shoulders. In my place, you suffered, bled, and so glad you're here this morning and if you are in need of prayer maybe you're going through something really challenging and very difficult and the lord really spoke to your heart um, you can come up and i'll pray with you or one of the other pastors i'm sure or, or deacon would be happy to pray with you and just listen to you and just care about you and uh, i hope that you're encouraged that last song was wonderful and it said your song is our faithful or your faithfulness is our song through the night and it reminds me of the opening story of how the Lord took care of that precious family and how he takes care of us. He's faithful. Always remember that. He is our good shepherd. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the song we just sang and uh, the application that we, uh, I hope, could apply to our hearts tonight or this morning so that we can further our faith and deepen our faith in Christ as your sheep who belong to a shepherd, a good shepherd. Lord, let us walk out of here a little lighter, a little more filled with joy. Thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy and in your right hand pleasures forevermore. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.